first house that Savannah and I owned uh, had no landscaping of any kind. Uh, we had grass, and that was it, and only sometimes we had grass. And uh, we decided that we would uh, put in some things, so we decided we would put in two trees. And we you know, did our homework, we looked around, we shopped around, we talked to some friends, and we got led to this guy um, who seemed like a nice enough guy, and we said we liked some two trees. And we want good trees, we want them to grow big and tall, you know, we want them to be here for a long time. And so he said, I got just the trees for you. And he came in, he put them in, uh, we paid him, he went on his way, and uh, we started watching these trees, right? Um, and every once in a while we would look out at them and I would say, ah, they look about the same size. And a few weeks later I'd look at it and be like, well, it still looks the same. And uh, lo and behold, not only did we plant those trees, we also had to take out two dead trees uh, just a few uh, maybe a year later or so. They didn't tell us to water them. Um, that's a joke. We watered the trees. Um, we were living over in Brownwood at the time, and it just at the beginning of a drought, and uh, the tree didn't make it. And it kind of reminded me, uh, this year we had a kindergartner, and they learned all about plants and all about how they grow. And, you know, they did the little experiment project, whatever, where you, you know, have a cup of dirt with some plants in them. And I'll never forget the day he came home to tell us about this. Or I think he just told me because it was supposed to be the Mother's Day present. He probably told her too, let's be honest. He's uh, in kindergarten. So um, he was very excited and telling us all about it. And every day, you know, we would ask about it. And the excitement started, you know, to wane because nothing was happening. And eventually, you know, when that... A flower broke through. I mean, it, we could have thrown a party because we were excited now. And there was a lesson in that that we had to try to learn and to teach was that sometimes when things grow, it takes time. And it will take time uh, for things to grow and change. And like a plant, uh, you are no different. It will take time for you to grow and to change as well. Well, we're, we're really glad that you're here today. My name is Cale Courtright, one of the ministers here. And I was going to say that we'd love for you to join us for our kickball game tonight. But we all have our burden to bear. And mine is that it rains. So um, we even made these cool uh, sunglasses for you guys because this is like our kickoff to summer. And uh, on your way out today, the youth group's going to help me hand out some glasses. You, you can pick up a cool... These cool sunglasses, one pair each, please. I already saw a few kids, you know, wanting, you know, to give them to all their friends. I don't know. But um, they're not never-ending sunglasses. So grab a pair. Uh, you can wear them tonight. I think it's going to be overcast, so you don't have to, of course. But um, sometime. And I will say, it is cool we put Crosspoint here on this side. So if you wear these when you're driving, uh, drive like a Christian. So... <laughs> Well, today we're going to continue our series on prayer, and it's called So Let It Be. And we're going to be in Luke chapter 11. If you have your Bible with you, go over to Luke chapter 11 today. Uh, you know, when we talk about prayer, it brings up a lot of questions. Uh, how do we pray? What do we pray? Where should we pray? Or even why do we pray? And that's the question that we uh, kind of talked about last week. Why do we pray? And we talked about how prayer is not a task. It's not something to just check off your list, but prayer is a relationship. And prayer is what ushers us in into the presence of God. And it is where we commune and communicate with God. 
And so we want to be people who pray because we want to be with God. And we know that in our prayer, we know that that is where we change because that's where we come in contact with Him. And so one of the things we want to say from the beginning is that the primary purpose of prayer is not to change God, but it is for us to be formed by God. And I just say that I want to remind you that's just the primary purpose of prayer. There are other purposes to pray. We'll talk about some of those next week. But the primary purpose that you pray is not to change God, but it's to allow God to change you. And I really like how Soren Kierkegaard said it. He said, the function of prayer is not to influence God, but rather to change the nature of the one who prays. So you need to understand when you go to God in prayer, understand that this is the heart that we go with. We go with wanting his will to put and submit ourselves to him, understanding that he will change us. And I want to remind you that this is the reason we pray is because God is not a standoffish God. He's not up on a high hill that you cannot summit. God is the God that wants to be with you. He wants to have a relationship with you. Last week we talked about from Luke chapter 11, the story of the lost son and how God is like the father who runs to the son with open arms to welcome him back home. This is who God is. He wants to be with you. And so that's why we pray, understanding that in our prayer, it's where our relationship with him grows and it's how we change. Now, maybe like you, when your kids were young or if you, if you have kids, uh, you may have prayed with them when they were little. We do that also. I know. Hold your applause. We are awesome parents. And we pray with our kids, which is a little bit like uh, controlled chaos. You know, it's we're trying to go to bed and they know when we say it's time for bed. Then they're almost like, no, because not because they don't want to pray because they don't want to go to bed. And so uh, we don't really have necessarily a set order. We kind of just go in a circle who wants to pray next? And that's, you know, we just, the next one goes after that. And a few months ago, Jackson was three and something changed. And he started asking for help to pray. And he had been doing some prayers uh, by himself. And it was like a typical two or three year old prayer, you know. Um, thank you for the mashed potatoes and for the pizza and my bike and, you know, those kinds of things, which is fine. We understand that that's, that's where he's at in life. But his prayer changed and he said, I'd like some help. And he, he might one night say, Mom, I want you to help me pray, or Dad. And sometimes he'd even ask his brother, Stephen, help me pray. And what that means for him is when he asks, help me pray, is that you say, okay, and you say, dear God. And then Jackson says, dear God. And you might say, thank you for my family. And he would say, thank you for my family. All the way to, um, in Jesus' name, Amen. And, and at first this really bothered me because he had been praying his own prayers. Why does he need help now? And I, at first I tried to get him out of it um, just to say, you know what, just pray, just pray your own prayer. And, um, you know, maybe you had a kid who was three once and, you know, maybe how that went. And, and so we, we help him pray. And for a while, as I said, it really bothered me. But I think he might know something that we forgot This is how Jesus taught us to pray. It's a very similar fashion. In Luke chapter 11, the disciples go to Jesus and they say, teach us how to pray. And Jesus doesn't say like we might say to our kids, okay, well, you you can thank God for some things. You can ask him for some things. No, what Jesus says is, this is how you should pray. And Jesus gives us a prayer. Starting in Luke chapter 2, this is what it says. Luke chapter 11, verse 2. Jesus said, this is how you should pray. Father, 
May your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. Give us each day the food we need and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation. Jesus has given us a prayer. And I think it's important when Jesus tells us to do something that we do it. So he says, when you pray. This is why we put this prayer on the back of your bulletin. It's why I asked you last week to be praying this prayer. And it's not too late to join in that practice. Let this be a prayer that you start the day with or end the day with. Or maybe at your lunch break. Find time to pray the Lord's Prayer. And you, you probably know the prayer from Matthew 6 a little better. This one's from Luke chapter 11, but they're pretty similar. If you were to line them up next to one another, you would realize that all of the same elements are in both. Every rabbi had their prayer. The disciples say, we've heard John's prayer. We want to know your prayer, Jesus. And so we read this prayer, and today we want to think about this prayer. Think about what is close to Jesus' heart. What are the things that he says are important to pray over? This is what we want to be about. As his followers, as his disciples, we want to pray the Lord's Prayer. So we start this prayer off and we say, Father, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. In Matthew, we pray on earth as it is in heaven. This is the foundation of the prayer is that we're asking for his kingdom to come soon. See, we could use kingdom. Matthew uses the word heaven on earth as it is in heaven. And we're thinking about, when we think about heaven, this is the place that God is. This is God's domain. This is where everything is as it should be. There is no death. There is no destruction. There is no injustice. This is heaven. And when you and I think about heaven, that's what we're talking about. That's the heaven that we long for. That's the heaven that is now. But we also have an earth, on earth as it is in heaven. Because on earth is not like heaven. Earth is our space. Earth is the place where there is an eager anticipation for Jesus to return. Earth is the place that is in a moment of longing, of deep longing for heaven to come. And so our prayer is that heaven would come to earth. That God's will would be done here just like it is done in heaven. Our hope is is that these two places would be joined, would be fully integrated. And you know, when the disciples thought of the kingdom of heaven, they thought about it maybe different than you and I thought about it. See, they had witnessed the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so when they thought of the kingdom of heaven, that was something that was here now. That when Jesus threw open the tomb and walked out, That this was a thing that was present in our reality right now. The kingdom of heaven is here. You read through the Gospels, this is what Jesus proclaims over and over again. Is that the kingdom of heaven is here. And so they leaned into that. And you may have heard it said before that in our day and age, we are in this in-between time. The kingdom of heaven is already, but it's not yet. Because... Everyone is waiting for the kingdom of heaven to be fully here, for Jesus to return. So when, when Jesus came and when he talked about the kingdom of heaven, he wasn't talking about some new religious advice. He wasn't talking about just a fresh theology or better morals. When Jesus talked about the kingdom of heaven, something more fundamental than that. 
When he rose from the dead, defeating death, the kingdom of heaven was here and everything had changed. The entire world had changed from darkness to light. This is what we pray for. The kingdom is here and is waiting for all of creation to join in the song. And so when we pray, let your kingdom be here on earth as it is in heaven, we are praying as those who are members of the kingdom. See, when you were born here on this earth, you're born under the old creation. But if you put Christ on in, in baptism, you have put that to death and you've ro- risen as a new creation. You are a member of the kingdom of God. You are a member of God's family Children of God, this is who you are. So when we pray this, we pray as members of the kingdom. And that's what we're working for. As I said, this is the foundation of this prayer. This understanding that the kingdom of heaven is here. And that's what we're working for. This trust that what Jesus did on the cross, he will do for you and for me as well. So we pray for the kingdom. And this leads to... The second portion of the prayer, which is give us today our daily bread. And this is a prayer of trust. Just as Steve said, just in our time of offering, it's the same thing. This is our prayer of trust. But it starts with the kingdom. And we understand that if what Jesus did in forming his kingdom, if he could do that, then he can provide for you today. And so we stand on the promise of his kingdom And we lean into trust to say, give us today our daily bread. And I don't know about you, but that can be a difficult prayer to pray. When the Jewish audience heard this prayer, they probably thought back to the Exodus. Because in the Exodus, the Jews had been slaves in Egypt for a long time. And through Moses, God freed them and they went to wandering in the desert. And every day, God provided their meal. He provided them enough food for that day. So they could pray, give us today our daily bread, and they knew what it meant. So when the Jews heard this, they thought back to their ancestors and said, what God did for us in the desert, he can do for us now. This is who Jesus is. I think Jesus lays the the foundation for this earlier in the book of Luke. In Luke chapter 9, um, it says this. One day, Jesus called together his 12 disciples and gave them power and authority to cast out demons and to heal all diseases. So, you know, I, I can maybe make it rain when I play an outdoor event, but that, that is cool. Right? I would trade uh, if I could. Then he sent them out to tell everyone about the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Take nothing for your journey, he instructed them. Don't take a walking stick, a traveler's bag. Food, money, or even a change of clothing. Wherever you go, stay in the same house until you leave town. Look at what he says to not take. Take, take nothing for your journey. Not a walking stick, a bag, food, money, or even a change of clothes. Now, I may not have seen you at the airport, but I've seen somebody like you at the airport. You don't travel like this. None of you travel with nothing. Just a few weeks ago, Savannah and I went on a short trip to California, and we didn't travel like this. I probably travel the opposite. I have an extra set of clothing, an extra set of travel documents, 
a, I probably have more than one way to charge my phone even, right? We don't take nothing on the journey. And so we were sitting there waiting to board our plane. We had about an hour and Savannah uh, looked over at me and she said, do you have a phone charger that I could borrow? And I looked at her and I said, what, what, do I, what do you think I am, a caveman? Of course I have a phone charger. I don't have one phone charger, I have three phone chargers. Because I come prepared. And if you can't find an outlet, that's okay. I have a battery. You don't even need an outlet. So when I read what Jesus says, don't take anything for the journey, that's a little concerning. Because that's not how I travel. And what, what is Jesus asking here? He's asking for their trust. He's asking, will you trust me that I will provide? I'm sending you out and you should know that I will take care of all of your needs. When the, after the disciples come back, later in Luke chapter 9 is the story of the feeding of the 5,000. And I don't think that that's an accident that it happens like that. A little boy comes He has five loaves and two fish, and Jesus is able to multiply that to feed 5,000 people. You and I couldn't feed 10 people without much. And Jesus is, it's as if he's saying, just trust me. Look at what I can do. So Jesus will take care of us. So we pray, give us this day our daily bread, and we trust that he will make it so. And so we pray then, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And I want you to keep in mind again the parable of the lost son from Luke chapter 15 that we read last week. In this parable, the son runs home. The son has brought great shame on his family. This is not the, the kind of thing that you hope for your son, for him to grow up, ask for a share of the inheritance, and then spend it in a way that you would not want. But that's the story. And when the son returns home, the father runs to the son. This is who our God is. This is what we talked about last week. And we call this parable a lot of times, we call it the parable of the prodigal son. And prodigal just means to spend freely and recklessly. And if you think about the son, that that, that is a truly good description of how he spent his money. He spent it in a prodigal manner, freely and recklessly. But that description also fits the father. See, the father gives out love and mercy and grace and, yes, forgiveness in a prodigal manner, freely and recklessly, in a way that the older brother calls into question the father's giving of this thing, giving of his love and his acceptance and his forgiveness. How could you do that? My son has returned, is what the father says. So we have a parable of a prodigal son and a prodigal father giving and spending of two very different things. But how the father gives his welcome there is the same way that the father gives to you as well. So we pray for forgiveness and we know and trust that he will do so. Just like we can trust that he will give us our daily bread. Just as we can trust that his kingdom is here because the tomb is empty. We know that he will recklessly give out his forgiveness to those who ask. As Paul says it, while we were still sinners, Christ died for you. And for a lot of us, this is a hard thing for us to take in. We can understand the forgiveness at a head level, but for it to go to our heart is is more challenging. It's hard to, to take the God who was 
perfect, the God who graciously gives us all things, and to understand that he will then forgive you of all things. And so it's easy to confess with our lips. It's a harder thing to live out. And we see this manifest all the time of people who don't believe this. And so they're caught in this cycle of guilt and shame. And then they continue to live in the cycle of sin because of that. The call for you today is to pray this prayer and to understand deep in your heart that God has forgiven you. That God, as only he can, has taken your sins and he has made you clean. It's like what we just sang during communion. This is who God is. But the the prayer doesn't stop there because as we pray for our own forgiveness, we pray that we too will forgive other people. And there may have been times in your life that you go, you know, they don't deserve our forgiveness. And I think Jesus in only the kind and gentle way he can look at you and say, and neither did you. You never deserved it either. And while you were still a sinner, I got on the cross for you. Now, this isn't a prayer that we pray for those who just annoy us or bug us. We're not praying just for tolerance of others. We're praying for those who have sinned against us. That's a different level of pain that people have brought on you. And our hope today is that as we pray this, we can live into this. That we can be the kind of people who forgive others. We're called as kingdom people to be reconciled back to one another just as Christ has reconciled you back to God. He reconciled you and so our job is now to reconcile others back to ourselves. And this is going to be a process. This is going to be something that as we're being transformed into his image We will start to be better at. So we learn to forgive other people because we want to be kingdom people. And so we forgive others. Now, one of the best days of my life uh, ever uh, was the day that my brother got arrested. (laughs) That's a true story. We had a party. Um, So let me tell you the story. So I was a senior in high school. And my brother was a sophomore. Uh, we shared a car that year. And, and I don't know what he was doing that night, but he needed the car. And I was out with uh, some friends. And I had just been dropped off, just gotten home. And um, I should back up and tell you that I'm the oldest. And, you know, I tended to be a little bit more hard-headed, a little bit more rebellious. Um, I promise you, if my parents thought anyone was going to get arrested, it wasn't going to be the middle brother, okay? Uh, they wouldn't have said, we think it's you, but they, you know, okay. Uh, we all know our role. Anyway, so my, my middle brother was you know, always the goody two-shoes, always the one that was making the peace in the home. Uh, I will also say he was also the tattletale. So, you know, what goes around comes around, I guess. And I'll never forget, I got home that night, and I'm talking to my dad. He's sitting there, and I don't know if there's some sporting event on TV. We're just kind of watching TV, just talking, and uh, telling him about my night. And he got a phone call, and I couldn't hear the other side of the conversation. But in my mind, it's um, something like, Mr. Courtright, uh, your son has been arrested, and you need to come pick him up. And, but the way that my dad looked at me was in a way that said, well, if one of my sons is getting arrested, it couldn't be my son, because my son that would get arrested is right, is right here. <laughs> and um, I didn't know it, but my brother had had a marching band event that night. And as part of their hazing or something, uh, they had... Uh, trespassed, and uh, the, the homeowner called the cops and eventually didn't, didn't even press charges or anything, but my brother uh, did get arrested, and so 
Um, it was a good day. But because Kale never got arrested, so I mean. Um, but on one hand, you could say that my brother was led into temptation. And that's what we pray, is that for us to not be led into temptation. Now, another way you could translate this is, instead of the word temptation, you could put the word testing there. Um, That we don't want to be led into a time of testing. And if you remember, at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, if you read one of the Gospels, you'll read how Jesus was led into the wilderness for a time of testing. He goes out there, and Satan tempts him three different times, and... Jesus, because he is God and remains perfect, doesn't succumb to any of that. But you and I, we pray, lead us not into temptation because you and I are not God. And we pray for his protection because we know that when it came to our own time of testing, that we may not can stand up to it. See, this is what I think this prayer tells us. In Matthew, we pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil or from the evil one. So when we pray this prayer, we fully acknowledge that evil exists, that Satan is at work, and that we need God's protection against him. So we're not called to hide from evil, to act like it isn't there, it doesn't, isn't active in our world. We're called not to wallow in evil, to join in with it and become evil ourselves. And we're also not called to be self-righteous in the face of evil. That's why we pray this prayer, admitting our own weakness. Not too proud to say that we don't need help, that uh, we're self-righteous and we can do this ourselves. But when we pray this prayer, we recognize the reality and the power of evil, but also the reality and the power of the kingdom of God and Jesus' victory over evil. So we pray this prayer calling on his power, because evil is real, but so too is the power of Jesus. There's lots of ways to view what happened on the cross. But on the cross, we know that Satan thought he had won. And when Jesus arose, he arose with our victory in his hands. And so that is what we lean into. We pray this prayer to call on his protection, to call on his power for our own victory. See, but it'd be really easy just to think about evil in terms of evil being out there. In terms of evil being someone else. It would be really easy to, if the world worked in such a way, that there were people going around and doing evil deeds. And we could pray for them. But the truth of the matter is that evil runs right through the heart of all of us. And so when we pray, deliver us from evil, we're praying for our own transformation. Understanding that we need the work that only God can do to come in and to transfer our, transform our heart and to make us new. So we pray not only to shield us from Satan's testing, but also from the evil that we might do ourselves. And so when, what happens when we pray this prayer? When we pray the way that Jesus taught us to pray? Richard Foster says, in prayer, real prayer, we begin to think God's thoughts after him, to desire the things he desires, to love the things he loves, and to will the things he wills. And so we pray this prayer, and you might spend some time today thinking about how this prayer compares to your own prayers. That when we read the Lord's Prayer, we realize just how inclusive it is. 
how it's not just inwardly focused, but it's outwardly focused as well. And we want our prayers to start to look like his prayers. The Lord is a good father and he wants to know what's on your heart. But while our heart is being transformed, we lean into the Lord's prayer because we want our prayers to look like his. And so when we pray this prayer, we pray that his kingdom, that his power and that his glory are seen in all the world. And church, this is a prayer to be lived, not just a prayer to say. And church, if we're not ready to be kingdom people, to live into this prayer as he called us to, then the only honest thing that we can do is to stop praying his prayer. Because if we are going to pray his prayer, it calls on us to change as people and to act as kingdom people act. And so we pray this prayer knowing that we are children of God, members of his kingdom, and we are called to work for that kingdom, that it would be on earth as it is in heaven. We are in this time of in-between, and we call on his name to bring heaven here. And I want you to notice that this prayer is not an isolated or individual prayer. This prayer is given to a community. This prayer is given to all of us and something that we pray collectively. If you look through the prayer, every pronoun is plural. It's not give me my daily bread, but it is give us our daily bread. And so when we pray this prayer, we understand that it doesn't just affect us, but it affects the family of God at large. And so we pray this prayer as a church family, not just inside these walls, but in all walls. And so you might pray, give us today our daily bread. And you might realize that I have my daily bread. Not only do I have my daily bread, I have a surplus of daily bread. And you might be the answer to someone else's prayer. God's desire is for all of our needs to be met. Not just a give me my daily bread. And so we, in thankfulness, understand what God has given us. And we look to see how we might bless another. And so when we pray this, we have to keep in mind this is a prayer that we, pl- that we pray in the plural. We pray with other people. This is a prayer that tests whether or not we are sincere. Whether or not we're ready to stand alongside those that because of our baptism, we call brothers and sisters. We are part of a new family. And we stand together with them. And when we pray forgiveness, that means that we will forgive other people. As part of this new family that Jesus has established, we forgive others. And so right now, there may be someone in this very room that you need to forgive. And we want to be kingdom people. And so we forgive others. And we pray not to be led into temptation. And we pray that God will guard us from those things and to spare us from that testing. But we have a role to play as well. See, many of you are probably... Tempted in very similar ways, the same times of day, the same places. And it's time for you maybe to change some of the habits that are behind your temptations. We have a role to play. God will act on our behalf. But will you take that first step? So we pray and we trust that God will transform us. And part of that will look like an opportunity. We pray that God will change us, and it means that we will be different people. We will think, feel, and treat others differently. We will act in a different way. And so as disciples, we follow Christ because he is the ultimate example. 
Some of you may have heard of a man named Ray Vanderland, and he was one of the pioneers on teaching about what first century um, Israel was like. And there are, there are studies you can do out there that I know many in this church have done that just teach you about what the world was like when Jesus was alive, what Israel was like in those days. Ray also, he leads trips over to Israel that just really try to uh, illuminate what um, the scriptures are telling us. Well, Ray was one of those kind of guys uh, that wants to always better himself. So he took different classes to try to be a better uh, leader in this kind of way. And so one time he was taking a class in Jerusalem, and it was taught by a Jewish rabbi. And this rabbi started teaching about, uh, he started talking about Christians. And if you want to be a Christian, what it should look like for you to be a Christian. He said, you know... For Jews, we have the entire Hebrew Bible, what we call the Old Testament. We also have lots of pages of writings from rabbis. There's lots of different ideas about what it means to follow God as a Jew. But he said, for Christians, you know, your Bible really, you really have only four books. You have four Gospels. And this Jewish rabbi said, I can't even understand how if you are a Christian, how you're not reading the Gospels weekly. If you want to follow Christ, you need to... Submerge yourself in his teaching. This needs to be something that's washing over you daily. Or how else will you know what he said or what he was like? And see, that's, that's our call for us today, church, is to follow our Messiah means to be submerged in his teaching and his words. And what you see when you open up the Gospels is that everything that Jesus did, it flows out of his prayer. Jesus was all about bringing the kingdom of God here. And it starts with his prayer. And so we pray his prayer as well. Because we want to be kingdom people. We want to follow in his example. And maybe today you have never accepted his baptism. You've never accepted membership into his kingdom. Won't you be baptized today? Baptistry is ready. This is a free gift from our Savior. A gift that puts you in his kingdom, that gives you part of his victory over sin and death. His victory over evil. If you've been baptized, this is who you are. You are a member of his kingdom. And if you haven't, let today be the day. This is a praying church. And as we close, our shepherds and their wives will be around the room. We want to pray with you. As you journey in this life, the things that are going on, we are here with you. We know that prayer is effective, and so we engage in prayer with you. And as I said, this prayer that we've been given from him is a plural prayer. It is a prayer given to a church. And so as we close today, we will pray this prayer together. If you would, please stand, and we will pray together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.